Welcome back to another edition of the Better Than I Found It podcast. I'm Mike McGraw, the men's golf coach at Baylor University. I have a very special guest today. His name is Art Proctor. Art was the former golf professional at Kicking Bird Golf Course in Edmond, Oklahoma. Art was a great teacher, great promoter of the game, and uh, was a mentor of mine uh, when I was coming through college and the years after when I worked for Art at Kicking Bird. His uh, recent induction into the Oklahoma Golf Hall of Fame uh, is a great honor, uh, very well deserved. And uh, Art and I get together in, in this podcast and talk about his time at Kicking Bird and uh, his playing career, his teaching career, and actually his coaching career as he uh, helped coach the UCO golf team when I was on the team. Great guy, a fantastic teacher of the game and promoter, and I think you really enjoy this podcast. Welcome, Art Proctor, to the Better Than I Found It podcast. So great to have you on today. Hey, Mike, it is certainly my privilege and honor to be able to talk to you. Well, I mean, I'm kind of excited because this is uh, this is your inaugural podcast. You've never been on one, correct? That's correct. Uh, been on a lot of TV and radio, but never a podcast. This, uh, this new uh, high-tech stuff is tough for an old guy. Well, you're you're on. You've you've passed the first test. You're actually on the Zoom call, so this is great. We, uh, I mean, it's just an interview. Where I'm just talking to Art Proctor. We've been we've known each other for oh my gosh, over 40 years, 42 or three years now or more. And so I, since we go way way back, and since we both have certain careers that we've lived through, um, I have a lot to talk about and a lot of things I want to get to today. So, uh, fire away. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about several subjects. One is the obvious, um, reason I put you on here today is you, you are one of the, uh, members of the 2021 Oklahoma golf hall of fame induction class. So I want to congratulate you on that to begin with. And we'll definitely talk about that. Um, well, if, I can tell you when Mark Felder, who you remember, uh, Oh, yeah. He was uh, hired uh, by me, uh, got his first uh, assistant job. He, 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 he said he wanted to be the one who called and informed me. And he, he called me and said I was in the Hall of Fame. And then he didn't hear my answer. He said, are you still there? <clears throat> and I said, yes, I'm still here. And he said, uh, well, you're not saying anything. And I said, there's too many thoughts going through my brain right now to talk. And I was humbled and excited and grateful and disbelief and uh, joyful. And all of those uh, things race through your mind. You know, I thought I might make it sometime after I was dead and they ran out of names. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we made it. You're still here. Well, I, I am uh, grateful for that. I'm grateful to <clears throat> still be playing golf and and enjoying the outdoors and uh, having a lot of friends that are still able to play. That uh, you know, all over eighty, that's fun. 
That's great. And we all shoot we all shoot better than our age. Well, I was going to ask you that question later. We'll get to that one for sure. But uh, so if I can just give a brief summary of some things I'd like to talk about, not only the Hall of Fame okay. class this year, but your years at Kicking Bird Golf Course in Edmond, Oklahoma, your influence as a mentor and a teacher to so many tour pros, your playing career yourself, uh, your impact on junior golf in Edmond, specifically Edmond, Oklahoma, uh, and your time as my college coach. So I'm, I want to talk about that. But So let's just get started. Um, every single podcast, when I talk to somebody and I'm trying to give people context as to who they're listening to. Sometimes it's a famous pro golfer. Sometimes it's a college coach. Sometimes it's like you, a player slash instructor slash, well, I mean, you, you wore so many hats, but I, I like to get a good handle on how they got into the game and who was the biggest influence on their game. So I know you grew up in Topeka, Kansas. Talk to me about your life early in golf. Well, my earliest recollection was sitting on the curb uh, and, and my father cutting down a wooden shaft six iron, uh, and I was about six years old. My father was a, a good baseball player when he grew up, and he uh, uh, transformed and he became a, a very good amateur player. And I went to the golf course with my father. So that was how I got started. Uh, I was a baseball player myself. I loved the game and, uh, going uh, into my high school, um, the coach played, uh, uh, a different person that he thought was better than me. And, uh, they turned my career to golf. And I, I called him back many years later and thanked him <laughs> because <laughs> I'd have never made, I'd have never made it this baseball player, but uh, I've done rather well in the, in the sport of golf. So I, that's how, kind of how I got started in golf. I won uh, uh, several titles in high school, the state junior JC tournament. And uh, that was my biggest uh, youngster. And then I turned professional at uh, 19. Wow. That's young. So, yeah, that was, uh, I went to, uh, uh, army uh, for the eight-year uh, commitment of uh, six months active duty, 18 months active uh, reserves, and then six years of inactive. So uh, you're, you're subject to call at any time, but uh, I didn't have to go to meetings or anything after those two years. So anyway, um, I went to two years of college and uh, Washburn University. And uh, then I uh, turned professional and went to Kansas City and was assistant pro at a 27-hole municipal golf course. And, oh, the stories that are there. The Mafia Dons played out there, and they showed up with their limousines and uh, submachine guns. I mean, it was was quite a place. Uh, (laughs) Every every day they had uh, 40 people. Some of them never had a Social Security card show up and and gamble they'd play cards and golf and uh, a couple of them took me under their wing because uh, i could play golf and they wanted me as their partner so they could win money <laughs> so you know anyway that's kind of how i got started and you eventually um, got to oklahoma city so tell me how you got to oklahoma city well actually <laughs> i was uh uh, I had some sponsors back then, and I, I was playing the golf uh, tour, 
and I was really green. I didn't know how to check in and out of a hotel. I mean, we didn't travel in, in high school and college back in those days. And, and, uh, golf coaches, uh, weren't, uh, savvy as they are now. And, and very few, uh, even played golf. They might've been football coaches and golf coaches in, in the, uh, different in the off season. So it was not anything like it is now, but, uh, Anyway, uh, I was playing the tour, and I ran out of money here in Oklahoma City, and Ernie Bosser had opened a new golf course called Quail Creek in 1963. And I applied for the job, and a good friend of mine got the job, but Ernie recommended to uh, another golf professional, Joe Walser Jr., uh, that he hire me. And uh, so I went to work at a 36-hole golf course, a public golf course, called Lake Hefner and I was an assistant there for three years and, and I still had the, the tour bug and had some sponsors and and uh, went and played the tour three more years or uh, uh, for the third time I tried anyway didn't do any good I, uh, <clears throat> I quit in 1967 in Canada I wrote a hot check to play in the Canadian Open <laughs> which was against my rules, but it was a hundred dollar check. I figured dad would take care of me and get me out of jail. But anyway, I finished, uh, uh, won $800 and got to play with Dave Marr and some of the, 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 the at the time, the, the big names. And it was the first time I was ever on TV. They had the big TV cameras. And, uh, I recall, uh, going to the first tee and they turned the camera on and that big red light showed up and guys, I had no idea what to do. I'd check and see if my uh, hair was combed and my, you know, shirt tucked in, if I looked all right, I don't know yet how I hit the first tee ball because I, it would certainly wasn't thinking about golf, but, uh, that, that way back in 67, a lot has changed since then. It has. But, uh, and, you know, you were uh, with Joe Walser giving you that first position at Lake Hefner uh, kind of got you in the world of uh, club professional. And uh, in 1971, a golf course in Edmond, brand new golf course opened up called Kicking Bird Golf Course. So tell me about getting that job. And then we're going to go through a whole host of stories of things that happened while you were there. Well, at <clears throat> You know, you're working really hard to get your first head professional job. I, I uh, wanted to be my own boss and my own direction and, and make my own decisions. And, and uh, you know, you always think you're better than the people that you're working for. You think you can, you can do better than they do. So, and, and I worked for two of the greats, UC Ferguson Jr. at Lincoln Park, who was, uh, you know, he'd been there for 50 years or 60 anyway, and Joe Walter and, and both of them were, were great golf professionals. And I kept applying for jobs. I applied for a lot of jobs and uh, got interviews, but for some reason I, I didn't ever get them. And I got uh, an opportunity at uh, Kicking Bird, the city of Edmond hired me. And, uh, it was a unique experience. I think why I got the job, uh, all of the experts said you wouldn't play 25,000 rounds. And, and uh, 
I, I told them I would play uh, over 35,000 rounds uh, uh, a year uh, by promotion and bring charities and, you know, golf tournaments and so on and so forth to the city of Edmond, which was 9,000 people at the time. So they hired me and the first year we did 39,000. So mm. it kind of cemented my job, I guess, because I was there uh, until I resigned. But anyway, uh, the grand opening was uh, a special thing. We played from downtown. We had a pro-am involved and we played from downtown city of Edmond to the golf course we putted through the streets <laughs> and what and and uh we had 24 teams we had 24 golf carts and uh i still got the putters banged up with rocks and everything from playing off the uh, the uh the rocky it, it wasn't um it was a gravel road to get to the golf course it wasn't even a, a, a paved road at the time so we had rock chips everywhere but anyway the one thing I remember about that, the mayor was against building the golf course and against funding it. We had the city got the Bureau of Outdoor Recreation money and somebody donated the land and they, the city came up with $400,000 and, and uh, the mayor was against it. So he got to hit the first ball downtown. Now, this is a putting, you know, we're not taking full swing. Right. I'm standing there and the TV cameras are going. And of course, uh, all the, the contestants are around and, and the mayor gave his speech and he grabbed the putter, took a full swing at this golf ball. He did not play golf. <laughs> he, he hit the ball hard. It went straight across the street to the bank and, uh, it bounced off a couple of cars, and I guess I'm thinking, I'm not even open yet, and I'm going to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> I, I reached for him. I tried to get the, the, the putter before he did any more damage. <laughs> wow. But uh, never heard any more about that, but that was I remember that was a very, very funny story. Well, but, you know, Art, uh, uh, you did have a very successful first year, and, and – a lot of people don't know this, but at one point you had over 60,000 rounds in one year on an 18 hole golf course. That's like really unheard of. And by the time I got to uh, Edmond in 1979 to go to school, uh, I was in need of a job. And because I, I wasn't on much scholarship at UCO and you uh, you gave me a job and you you, you probably did that sight unseen because uh, you knew my dad who was a club professional as well. Um, but I remember that fall and you were giving me all these hours. I could do whatever I needed to, to make money, still play on the golf team, had all that going for me. And in about November, there started being less and less hours and you know, the winter was coming and I thought, what am I going to do? And so I just remember finding all the really bad jobs, like cleaning the grill and doing some other things in there that, that I did, but I net and I was able to make it through that first winter, but I never ever forgot you giving me that job. But that goes to my next point, and that is hundreds and hundreds of young junior golfers got a job at Kicking Bird and it literally started their golf career. I, I would, I've been telling people this for years, 
the success that Edmond High Schools and Edmond Junior Golfers have had for 40 years now, I think it's all directly related back to the fact you gave kids jobs and gave them opportunity. And that opportunity led to championships. So talk to me about your desire to help, you know, the youth of Edmond and the way you did that by giving them jobs. Well, thank you, Mike. That, that's very nice of you to say, but um, I was, uh, I certainly had all the food and clothes I needed when I was growing up, but we weren't rich by any uh, stretch of the imagination. So um, when you uh, get jobs as a, a youngster, I remember sweeping out um, a Junkins dry goods store downtown Topeka, Kansas, when I was 10 years old uh, for money. And, you know, without that job, I couldn't have bought all the little things that kids want. And I, I remember the people giving me uh, jobs through my youth to help me do the things I wanted to do. So I never forgot that. And, and giving kids this disadvantage or kids who didn't play golf, who wanted to play golf, and maybe their parents didn't like golf or didn't have the finances to, you know, fund them for golf courses. We gave them jobs. They didn't make much money, but they got to play golf free. And they, um, their mothers and dads knew where they were, knew where they were safe and yeah, you know, weren't going to get in much trouble at a golf course. No, so yeah, that, that's how that's how I got started giving giving back to what I had received as a youngster. So, um, never never looking back. I, you know, you would never change anything. But one of the things I left Kicking Bird to do was to build a. 36-hole golf course with a nine-hole training center with bigger cups and greens built like a, uh, a valley where uh, the ball would all funnel to one place and uh, put bigger cups out there where women and juniors could learn how to play and enjoy seeing the results more quickly than the game we play, which is small cup and <laughs> yardage that they can't get there in two and so on and so forth uh, and you know make the game more enjoyable it, it, this game's hard and unless you're talented you're not going to play it very long uh, you may come back in later years and take lessons because of your business or whatever but you, you're never going to be subjected to shooting even par <laughs> for sure you for know sure. it's a, it's a it's a different deal. So I gave a lot of youngsters uh, an opportunity, and what they did with the opportunity, uh, it, it, that's their decision. You took it. I gave you the opportunity to close the shop at night and work with, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 kids. You had a bunch of kids that that stayed at night. Heavens knows how many potato chips and cokes we lost, but <laughs> yeah. But any, anyway, uh, you gave them an opportunity for your expertise, and that's how you got started in, in coaching. And and uh, I gave you a chance, and you you took it, and look where you are now. Well, you know, and I was there's so to... many. 
Go ahead. There's so many kids like you. Yeah, I think I think what you did, Art, was you provided opportunity and you gave it. You gave me that opportunity. You're the one that really encouraged me to go into coaching. I think on a level you could see I probably wasn't going to make it as a player, and but you you saw I had some skill in the coaching arena and you you really pushed me that direction. So I became sort of an unofficial junior golf director. And I want to talk briefly before we move on about the E.C. Hafer Junior Golf Program, because I think it should have been a uh, like a model, of, you know, the poster model of all junior golf programs in the country. Um, during the summer, every Thursday and Friday, kids got free lessons and got to play. Well, I mean, it was like four dollars for the summer, something ridiculously cheap. I mean, we had over 250 to 300 kids in that program. I mean, Mr. Hafer was a great man and he helped you get that started. Uh, Mr. Hafer was a, a extremely nice retired gentleman who always uh, came out to the golf course and helped. He was always on the putting green, helping uh, youngsters putt, and uh, uh, he played uh, until his later uh, years when health issues and uh, he couldn't play. But his wife played, and she was a sweet lady. But uh, E.C. Hafer was always involved with kids. And uh, it was quite an honor for him to, to name the junior program after him. That, that was exciting. And they also have an E.C. Hafer Junior Hall of Fame uh, that the kids in Edmond uh, uh, get to be inducted to through the years. And, and that's uh, I, that foundation took off and is, is really a, a great foundation. Well... And I'm just going to tell you, I know you, you're going to be humble about this, but it, you have to trace it back to the 1970s when you kind of got junior golf going in Edmond. So I'll always appreciate that. By the time I got there and became a junior golf director slash high school coach, uh, the nuts and bolts had already been taken care of. And I had a huge advantage and a leg up on the competition around the state. So you helped my coaching career, one, by directing me toward getting into coaching, and two, by having a great program to start with. But let's talk about four years you were actually a coach at Central Oklahoma at that time, Central State, and that was during the time when I was in college. Uh, so I'm going to tell a story about you and what you did that I think uh, was great coaching, just a perfect example of great coaching. So my senior year um, – I had been in the fall of my senior year, I'd been playing in a pickup football game, stupid. It was dumb. And I separated my shoulder and I literally didn't hit a golf shot for four months. When we came back, we played early qualifying rounds. I didn't play well, but you went ahead and put me on the team. I think as whatever, number five, man, whatever it was, I wasn't playing very well. And we went to a tournament at the beginning of spring break in Padre Island Island. And I finished sixth out of our six players. So we were hosting our tournament at the end of spring break at Kicking Bird. And in a team meeting, you said, okay, guys, uh, here's the top five. You named them off, and I wasn't one of them. And you said, and McGraw, you won't be playing, but I need you to come out and help me with some things during the tournament. So I didn't question that. I had played poorly, didn't question your decision one bit. But do you remember what you had me doing that first morning at 6.45 in the morning before they teed off? <laughs> no, I don't. Tell me. <laughs> okay. You put me in the range drag and you said, McGraw, pick up balls until the last player has has uh, finished his practice before the round. And so I'm out here in this range drag, picking up range balls for the players I'm supposed to be competing against. 
I mean, completely seething with anger, not at you. I was not mad at you. Not even one bit was I mad at you. Yeah, you so, were. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Well, if I was, I got over it pretty quickly. I was mad at myself because I even put myself in this position. And I came back the next morning on Tuesday and I was in the range drag. And years later, when I told you that story, you said, oh, surely I wasn't that mean. I said, it wasn't mean at all. You knew on an intuitive level that that would motivate me. You knew that that would, I would never, ever let myself get in that position again. And I didn't, and I played great the rest of that year. But you were a very, you were a club professional and you still were playing golf too. So you didn't have time to be a full-time coach, but the impact you made on that program was pretty, pretty impressive. And I'll never forget that. I never took playing for, uh, playing golf for granted or competing for granted after that moment. So thank you for that. Well, number one, you're welcome. And, and some of the things that you do, you made a great word, intuitive. You don't know why you do them at the time. And they might not seem like the correct thing, but they somehow, you know, God gives you a direction to do something and it works out. And, and if you follow his plan, you're okay. <laughs> That's all I know. Totally agree with you there completely. That, Anyway, so I just wanted people out there to know you you were a coach for a short time, and I'll never forget that impact you made on me because it was like, McGraw, don't take this for granted. You could be sitting in a range drag instead, and I never let that happen again, so I appreciate that. But, you know, uh, so many things happened during your time uh, at Kicking Bird, and, but you were still a player. It's not like you still hadn't got the playing out of your system, and I want you to tell us, if you will, uh, when you played the West Coast Swing on the PGA Tour in 1976, so you'd been the, the pro at Kicking Bird for five years, and you still kind of were playing pretty good. So tell me about that little stretch of golf where you went out and played. Well, thank you for that opportunity. As you grow up, you're either a competitor uh, or you're not. And I, uh, I've been a competitor all my life. So I, I, you know, it's how you, how you get ahead. You were a competitor. That's why you are where you are. Uh, every, every winter, uh, you know, you got a two week vacation and, and it's snow on the ground and, and I had family in, in Arizona. So, uh, I would go to Arizona and qualify for the Phoenix and Tucson, those two tournaments. Well, I happened to qualify for Phoenix. And I, and I made the cut, and uh, therefore I got to go to the Bing Crosby. And at the Bing Crosby, I met an amateur, and I met Bing Crosby, and and uh, uh, oh, we did a lot of things, a lot of actors, and, and we went to parties with big celebrities, and and uh, we saw the the lady in the Iron Lung, the first lady that survived, that lived in the Iron Lung. I'll never forget that. Um, you know what a what a life to lay there and let people come in and and look at you that was something else but anyway um i played well at the crosby extremely well <clears throat> paired with bruce crampton the last round and his amateur partner we our amateur team didn't make the cut but playing the 13th hole um <clears throat> we were both in the top 10 he birdied five out of the last six i bogeyed five out of the last six i finished 24th he finished second <laughs> so 
I I played very well, but I got to go from there to um, Hawaii. And I called my boss and told him it was an opportunity and my wife and I, and if I could take an extended vacation and uh, the boss was the city manager at the time. And he said, there's snow on the ground and no golf here. Go ahead. So uh, I went there. And what I remember about that tournament is I birdied every par five for four rounds. 16 birdies? 16, I was 16 under par. Ben Cranshaw won the tournament at 13 under. So I don't know what happened. I won, uh, oh, $800 or something. But uh, uh, anyway, I was still exempt to go to the next tournament. Uh, and uh, I came back and was a club pro. <laughs> <laughs> well, but isn't that interesting? When you were given uh, kind of a, a little opportunity to play, you just kept playing. And that's pretty rare for a club pro to do something like that. Well, at that time, uh, there wasn't a, a PGA tour uh, only. Uh, it went into uh, where they separated from the PGA and became an entity of their own. Um, they were under the PGA umbrella. The next year is when they uh, a club pro couldn't do that. So you, it, it, it's amazing. I actually went to the national PGA meeting and, and uh, spoke against separation because I knew all of the club pros at that time, Tom Neoporti and uh, a bunch of club pros who were very good players and would go out in the wintertime and, and play. Uh, you know, you had to qualify, but they had like, uh, you know, 10 spots. They didn't have four like they do now. So it was a little easier to get in if you were a good player. Well, it wasn't uh, even an all-exempt tour at the time. I think only 60 players were exempt from the tour, uh, from the money list the year before, I believe. That's right. When I first went out in 1962, um, they had uh, uh, the 60 players make the cut, uh, could go to the next tournament, but only 50 of those made money. The last 10 players didn't even make money. Didn't, you didn't know that. But. No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was in 1962, and that's not very far uh, back. But, well, I guess it is. It's 1900, so your audience might not know. <laughs> no, but you but know anyway. what? Some of my yep. audience is older than you think. Oh, no, Mike, you deal with the youngsters. So, <laughs> so surely there's nobody out there listening to me can relate to 1962. <laughs> Well, I was two years old, so maybe I can't. Um, but yeah. so, Art, years and years go by, and you just keep on uh, setting records at Kicking Bird, doing great. You're still playing well. I think you won the uh, South Central Section Match Play three times and the Section Stroke Play Championship a couple of times. So you're still playing well. Play the National Club Professional uh, Tournament. I think you finished as high as third in that. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So, I played on the National Cup team that year because I finished third. That was great. Yeah, so you never got – and you, I still think today you have that. You've never gotten competing out of your system. It's still in there, which is great. Um, right. So I, Because I'm not competing anymore. I just compete when I coach. So I, I, I applaud you for continuing to play. One of the things you did in July of 1983 – still amazes me to this day. And I want to tell people about it because 
just people in Edmond really kind of know about it. But one day you were going to do a charity uh, fundraiser for the PGA of America, and you were going to try to play as many holes as you could in one day. And so for weeks leading up to this, we had people pledge a certain amount of money per hole. And what we were going to do was you were going to ride in a buggy, this literally a little buggy, and have somebody driving it and the caddies on the back that would would hand you the golf clubs. And we were going to play from daylight to dark. I was there and I was driving that buggy for a good portion of that day. So there's something you don't remember that I'm going to tell. First of all, you teed off at 541 and we hit the tee shot and it's really still dark and nobody saw where it went. So we said, okay, wait, let's push a restart button here. And we waited five more minutes until 546. That's when you hit the official first shot and you played golf literally all day long. Talk about that day. Well, the first thing is I wasn't, I didn't start out to play all that day. Um, one person had uh, pledged a dollar a hole and I thought I might play, you know, a couple hundred holes or something like that. Uh, I had no idea that it was going to evolve into what it was. Um, we started playing, and my high scores, believe it or not, were the early ones. And the low scores, uh, I think I shot 68 on the last 18 holes when the club weighed about 10 pounds and my legs were dead, <laughs> you know, swinging uh, that many times a day. But uh, anyway, uh, I stopped to get something to eat or drink about 2 o'clock. And a Hall of Fame baseball player who, you know, Cal McClish, was sitting in there at, at the lunch. And we're talking, and he's talking about how good I did and blah, blah, blah. And he said, uh, Art, why don't you go out there and, and finish all day and, and really do something? I said, okay. So I got up and <laughs> played the dark. So uh, you let were part some, of that. Yeah. Let, let me ahead. get some statistics on this, okay? You played right. 414 holes that day. That's 23 rounds of golf. 23 That's rounds right. of golf. You were six under par total, so 1,604 strokes that day. Um, okay. We Before you go thing. any further, tell, yeah. tell people we patted everything out. We didn't give no gimme. No gimmies. You played every single hole. So you were going through groups. If you played that day, I think – uh, our, your your uh, buggy went through people six times if they played golf that day. Um, That's correct. Two records that I don't think, I, I think were just amazing in my mind. You shot 32, which was three under par on the front nine one time in 16 minutes, 32. You shot 68 in on another round, 68 in 34 minutes, which to me is just unheard of. And we filled a gas tank twice that day. It started with a full tank. We had to fill it twice more. Um, it was just in a crazy day, but I've got this memory. So we had a buggy with a flatbed on the back. We strapped your golf bag to that back in an angle where the caddies could get it. We had two caddies on the back. I was driving the buggy and the other assistant pros drove it in the middle of the day, but I started at the beginning and the end. And I have this image on number one, when we were going down number one, uh, you'd hit your approach shot, hop back on the buggy, and we would normally drive to the right side of the green, but you would pull this approach shot to the left side of the green. So call your daily, one of the range boys is on the back, and he's been on there a couple of times, so he knows we're going to go to the right. And in the last second, you said, go left, McGraw, because you thought it'd be quicker. 
And I went left and Collier didn't know it. And I look back and there's golf balls and clubs and Collier's body just flying through the air. And you looked at me and I looked at you and you said, just keep going. (laughs) Somebody will pick him up. Just keep going. (laughs) But I mean, that's the competitor in you. You were going to get this record if you, if it killed you. Uh, But Collier survived and we went on and you played 414 holes that day. And honestly, it's some of the best golf I ever saw you play. You were in a perfect rhythm. Uh, There's one other comment I'll make about the kids. And, and I'll never forget this. This was funny. Sometime in the afternoon, you know, the kids changed off and, and we had a new kid on the bag uh, on number 10 and on uh, number 11. So we get on uh, 11 T, which is par three downhill. And uh, we're driving up there and he was, what club? I said, I don't know yet. What do you mean? You've been here all day. You don't know what you hit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that from eleven year old kid. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, golf changes. I was hit anywhere from a four iron to a seven iron that day. So I uh, uh I did uh, change golf clubs, but it was funny, a funny comment. I just laugh. But well, uh, I, I think the kids and I had about as much fun that day just because it was just fun watching you do that and go through those groups and uh, as soon as you were coming around on 18, the golf shop would announce to the first tee, part ways, Art Proctor's coming through, and you'd, uh, you'd play right through number one. So, anyway, great memory. I got me. yeah, to tell you one more quick story. We're going, I, I told everybody when they sold the green fee to the people to tell them what was happening, and I would be coming through, and, and I'd be gone and wouldn't be bothering them, you know. Well, they forgot to tell this one guy. He was about six foot six, a real good looking guy. And he had a good looking uh, date with him. And she's not playing golf, but he is. And he's showing off. So the get the second hole, he's on the tee. And he's uh, horsing around and, you know, checking everything. Hitting his pants and pulling Arnold Palmer and, and showing off. And, uh. I'm sitting there patiently waiting for him to hit. He's wasting my time. And, and uh, he finally hits, and he's walking to the golf cart, and I step up and hit, and we take off around him, and he is hot. <laughs> well, I go through him again on, like, number seven or eight, and uh, uh, I happen to catch him when he's in between shots, so there was no problem. Uh, didn't didn't interact with him in any way and he went through the pro shop and I guess he went in to complain they told him what was happening we went through him again on like 12 and he's clapping <laughs> <laughs> so he, he went from being very upset to uh, uh, clapping for me so uh, it was uh, uh, another unique story but uh, there's a lot of memories about that day yeah that one was, a- was I, I had hamstring problems for two weeks my legs i had knots in them that night my wife rubbed my legs all night and i was screaming i couldn't get into the sauna quick enough and i couldn't get out (laughs) it was crazy (laughs) well i don't think there's any training that you do to prepare to play 414 holes that's not a there's No. no training regimen no but you made one statement um I'm going to elaborate on. I won everything in the section that year because my swing fell into a groove. I didn't ever have to practice all year. 
I remember that you played so well that you won both uh, the match play and the stroke play. You just won about everything, player of the year, all of that. So you were truly a really strong club professional playing professional uh, on, in a, in a club setting. So I'll never forget that. And always appreciated that. I also worked a lot of years for you as an assistant pro. And during that time, you did something for the Oklahoma open that I think they're still reaping the benefits of today. And that is you took a dying event. The Oklahoma open was just literally an afterthought. No professionals from the tour came back and played in it. Really not very many club pros in the state did. It wasn't a very well thought of tournament. And in 1979, you brought it to kicking bird. I want you to tell my audience kind of what you did, how you did it, why you did it. And uh, just tell them about, you know, resurrecting the Oklahoma Open. Well, thank you. Um, I did actually uh, resurrect it because they were playing for entry fees. Uh, there were six, six and a half hour rounds. Um, the first time I went to the board to ask if I could run the golf tournament, uh, they said no. Um, that year, uh, uh, they played it at Tulsa at Indian Springs Golf Course. And Lindy Miller and David Edwards had just graduated uh, from college that year. So they uh, uh, played in the golf tournament. may not have been that year. may have been the year after that they graduated. But anyway, they played in the golf tournament. And they paired me with Lindy and David. Well, I birdied one. I birdied two. And we get to number three. And there's six groups on the third tee. Hmm. And I went off and, uh, shame on me for doing that, but they gave me the tournament next year. So I said, <laughs> I talked to all the turn pros. I said, there will be no six hour rounds. Uh, uh, you know, I promised them good pairings and good times and they could stay and live at their house and not have any problem if they come and could support it. And most of them did the first year, but all of them did the second year because we ran it so well. David or Danny Edwards won it the first year. And, you know, we had Gil Morgan win it. Bob Tway won it. Um, Tom Jones won it. Um, trying to think Doug Tool. Just uh, all of the touring pros that lived in the area won. And they enjoyed playing. I put right on the rule sheet, front nine, two hours, 15 minutes, tee shot penalty subject to disqualification. Never had a problem. We played in under four and a half hours in the tournament. And we had the ladies out there with golf carts, with scoreboards, with every group. Everybody knew how they stood. So uh, we had an updated leaderboard at the half hour. When they came through, they could tell you know, leaders could tell how far they were ahead or behind. So it was uh, something I enjoyed, hard work, but uh, very, very successful and a feather in the city of Edmonds cap. Um, you know, at the time, Oak Tree, we didn't have very many members and, and uh, they built the men only side, but the, the uh, other side didn't open until I think 78 or 79 and they weren't going, uh, the 36 old families wasn't going very well yet either. So it just took a while and we were still golfing in Edmond. Kickingbird was. 
And at that time, Edmond was probably oh, 20,000 people. It probably doubled in size since uh, we opened in 71. And now it's over 100. And, uh, those, <laughs> they're still building, so it's crazy. It is. You know, and, and I think the last person to win at Kicking Bird was Bob Tway in 1985. And he was... That's correct fresh off a great year on the PGA tour and getting ready to have the watershed year and the best year he ever had on the PGA tour when he won the PGA championship the following year. So you had guys that literally Gil Morgan, Doug Tool, guys that were in the top 25 or 30 in the world were playing in that event. And, and eventually they took it to Oklahoma or to Oak tree. And then uh, the daily Oklahoma got involved, but I think the daily Oklahoma got involved sponsorship wise before you left kicking bird, didn't they? Oh yeah, they go. Ed Martin was a good friend. Uh, went, went to church with him all the time, and had dinner with him a lot. And um, I actually uh, was in Colorado Springs, where Ed Martin was for a while, uh, uh, in charge of the paper up there. But anyway, um, we uh, we actually got a hundred thousand uh, dollar Oklahoma Open at Kicking Bird. Uh, like two years before it went to Oak Tree. So we were no longer playing. We had over 200 people qualifying to get in. Uh, that's kind of unheard of in this day and age. But we had a lot of qualifying spots open. And, uh, uh, you know, I took care of the co local college teams. Uh, OU, OSU people got in. And we had an amateur division. And the amateurs wanted to play because they had a chance to play with us. Uh, Gil Morgan or Bob Toy or, or somebody like that if they played good enough, you know, and you got paired by pairings, first in, last out, and didn't care what the name was. That's just the way I uh, ran the golf tournament. We had a great green superintendent who had the golf course immaculate, and we had it to, uh, the open date right after um or right before the uh, OU Texas game or right after October first week in October and football was in and golf course um you know back then football was huge and and Saturday afternoon you could shoot a shotgun there wasn't anybody on the golf course because everybody was OU and OSU football back then but uh so we had the golf tournament and didn't in, interfere much with local play. And we, it just was good. Very, very, very good. I was very proud of, of all of the volunteers, the ladies' uh, uh, membership that we had. Uh, did an outstanding job. Bill Barrett, who was a local person, who was one of my dearest friends, he, he spent more or as many hours as I did running the golf tournament he was he was great and he always had high thoughts of you too as you were growing up yeah bill was a great special guy. person yeah great special guy. person oh yeah absolutely well you know as we've just kind of gone through those years at kicking bird and the things that happened out there and your time there um i'm going to talk about a couple of players you worked with but they're in the hall of fame class this year so that's in a few minutes but this uh, coming month, later in the month, they're going to have a anniversary, 50 year anniversary slash reunion, uh, former employees and just people celebrating the 50th anniversary of Kicking Bird. I know you're going to be there at that celebration. Tell me about that. Well, number one, I'm excited. Um, 
be be a lot of people there that were were there during the, the grand opening uh uh that, that played um my barber was the first one that bought a green fee there and he always told me that you know i was first in line <laughs> so um he's retired from barber now and his health is not good but i certainly hope he's there but we had a guy, uh, guys, and his name fails me right now, but he always bought an annual membership. He'd come in like May and said, well, I got my money back. I'm all free now. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, special things. And I had uh, a good secretary from one of the golf professionals write down for me everything I needed prior to opening. I mean, pencils, paper, scorecard, you know, typewriter, computers, uh, cash register, just everything where I would not, when I opened up, I wouldn't forget anything. And I was so proud of that. And the first thing that happened, got a telephone call, Paige Mike McGraw, no <laughs> paging system. <laughs> <laughs> We had no microphone or paging system to page anybody. <laughs> Just they had a telephone. <laughs> well, so no matter no matter how how much you think you know, you always forget something. Yes, you do. You do absolutely well. So I know you're looking forward to that. I would be there, but we we're playing the national championship that week. Otherwise, I would be there for sure. Just be a lot of reminiscing going on and great great friendships. Uh, you know, revisited there, but so you finished your time at, at Kingbird and shortly thereafter, not too long thereafter, uh, you started competing again. And I know you played a lot of, uh, senior golf. So talk to me about playing the senior tour. Talk to me about playing in the senior British open. And I want to know about your relationship with Arnold Palmer, because I know you got to know him quite well. And, that was just a kind of a renaissance for you to get to play pro golf at that level again. Well, um, when I left kicking bird to build my facility and all the finances fell through and the oil business went bad and the economy went crazy and, uh, I'm out of a job and, and, uh, I went to work for the state of Oklahoma and, and there I had an exciting deal. I, I had nine golf courses and 300 employees. And, um, got the uh, opportunity to design and build an additional nine holes at three different golf courses. One of them was on Sandy loam with no trees and flat. One of them was a, um, hilly, uh, golf course that, uh, a lot of rocks and, and uh, then natural waterfall, and, and that was Lake Murray. But the most fun was uh, Broken Bow down in uh, uh, Hochitown Golf Course. Uh, it is full of huge forest hardwood trees. Broke my heart to cut down trees and to mm -hmm. cut down a fairway full of trees. It, it, it's crazy but but i had more fun we had that was a lot of fun then i went to uh um the british open the senior open and i played well there had the chance to win one year uh, i was one shot back with eight holes left to play and i 
tried to hit it over a bunker in a 40 mile an hour wind didn't make it and long story short i three putted for an eight and then doubled the next hole and finished fifth in the tournament so that was uh my chance to for glory and i blew it but uh anyway Palmer, I'm playing with him over there. First time I got paired with him, uh, Royal Litham is a little tee that's not 10 feet by 10 feet. Could hardly get the starter stand on there and have it a, a place to tee off. And I'm standing there with Jay Dolan and Arnold Palmer. And he looked at us. He says, I come all the way over here and I get paired with you two, yay hoos. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, don't know what to say and jay dolan says well if you play better you wouldn't get paired with it <laughs> <laughs> so anyway uh um we're on the uh, bobby jones famous 17th hole or 16th hole i guess a dog leg left far four and it had a hog back fairway and the fairway wasn't 20 yards wide and he hit it in this bunker over to the left and he had some kind of five iron out of that bunker over some trees and hooked it on the green and won the British Open. So they got a monument there, and I did not want in that trap. There's no way I could do anything close to what Bobby Jones did there. I was looking. Now, I'm sure the trees have grown up a little bit, but uh, still, I couldn't, uh, couldn't even think about going for the green if I got in that bunker. So... I'm, at the time, I had broken my wrist, and I couldn't I couldn't hook the ball at all. My life depended. I didn't. I was a hooker all my life, and all of a sudden, all the balls were going left to right, and I my whole brain was fried because I didn't know how to play a left to right golf shot. So I told the Palmer on the practice tee. I said, Arnie, I said I can't play 16. I I, I keep hitting it in the right rough over there, and it's about three feet deep. And uh, I said, how do you hook it? He just looked at me. He said, if you want to hook it, just hook it. I'll never forget those words. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to hook it, just hook it. No, Arnie, it doesn't work that way. But <laughs> as a teacher, I'd tried everything, but I didn't know how to hook it with my broken wrist. It just wouldn't turn it over. I had a four knuckle strong grip and everything. And I, anyway, I'm playing with him and I get to that hole <laughs> And I hit some kind of squirrely, low punch cut stayed in the fairway. And he just looked at me and laughed. <laughs> I'll never forget that. And the 15th hole, they made a par four instead of a par five that the members played at. And they had cross bunkers in front of the hole. And the wind is blowing howling about 30. And nothing to slow it down out there. No trees or anything. And uh, I'm on the left of these bunkers. And Palmer's on the right and in the rough. And he calls for me to come over. He waves at me. And there's probably 20 people following him over there. And I think he's got a ruling. So I go over there and what do you need, Arnie? And he points down at this ball and it's in the bush. And I'm looking for a hole, a ground hole, or, you know, and I'm looking for some reason why he wants to drop it. And he says, well, look at this. Look at this. I said, yes, I'm looking at it. He said, I said, what do you want? He said, well, I, I don't know. You know, he said, I just wanted you to see it. 
I said, well, Arnie, in your younger days, you'd just take that ball and bush and everything, put it up there on, on the green. He looked at me, and he hauled out a wedge, and he hit it about four feet, bush and all. <laughs> I'll never forget that. So uh, later on, in, in a couple of years later, I'm uh, playing in the National PGA down in Florida, and uh, I'm in the locker room with Arnie, and I had just heard that that uh, uh, the job of tour uh, rep where they hand out clubs from the company and Arnold Palmer had the company, uh, Arnold Palmer golf at the time and they fired the rep. So I said, Arnie, I'd, I'd like to talk to you. And he says, okay, I'll go in here and I'll come right back out and, and we'll visit. So he comes back out and he says, now what, uh, what is it you want to talk to me about? And I said, I heard you had a, the, the rep job open. I'd like to, uh, uh, apply for that and uh, he says why he says well I nobody I'd rather work for than you and he says okay call the president which is Jack Richards which I knew but anyway he says call him and and Mike I'll never forget this because I said something that I wish were frozen in time that I could take the words back but I said no, sir. If you want to hire me, you can. And if you don't, I understand. But I wanted, when I said no, sir, I wanted those words right back and I couldn't, I couldn't get them back, <laughs> but he hired me. So I worked for this, uh, for him for a year out on the tour, traveling and, and selling his golf clubs and giving them away on the tour. And, uh, uh, that was fun. And then he sold the company. So I was out of a job. <laughs> but well, but arnie and i uh he always uh he and ed c who is his bodyguard slash caddy slash uh, uh club uh, uh i mean golf course builder architect um ed c and i got along really good and talked a lot and uh they always liked tammy my daughter and every time they see tammy uh out on the road she when she worked for the golf channel they They'd say hello and and talk to her and one of always how's that old Art doing? He always had a pet name for me, so I won't I, I won't use that on the air. But anyway, we were good friends and uh, I, playing in the British Open and traveling with him and I've got pictures with him and it, it's fun. So special guy and a special person and and one of my heroes, Hogan was Nicholas and. Of course, Nicholas was a bad guy who turned into a good guy later. And Trevino, I had a lot of fun with Trevino. I thought I was a good chipper. He's given me a chipping lesson. <laughs> and I listened. So, but, but anyway, I had an opportunity to play with all the greats. Played a lot with Palmer. And, uh, and uh, Lee Trevino played with him in Oakmont. And played with Gary Player a, a lot. But... Uh, been been very fortunate. Golf has been extremely good to a poor person from Topeka, Kansas that happened to get lucky and and I married married very well with my wife Connie and got two lovely girls who've done very well in life and just a um, a great story and it's nice to be in the Hall of Fame when you I'm I'm driving very careful and staying out of trouble, hoping I make it to no, November, you know. <laughs> well, you know, Art <laughs> 
to, to paraphrase an old saying, uh, hard work and opportunity where they intersect, uh, hard, oh, I'm sorry, hard work and luck where they intersect uh, is, is great opportunity. And you've taken advantage of that your whole career, done a great job with that. And, and this career we've just kind of highlighted here and we've only hit the highlights. Um, there's so much more, but um, it's going to culminate in a very, very special evening on November 21st at Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club. You're going in the induction class this year for the Oklahoma Golf Hall of Fame. Going in with you at the same time are two players you actually helped in their junior careers, high school careers, and professional careers, and that's Danny Edwards and his brother David Edwards. Also going in is Floyd Farley, the golf course architect who designed Kicking Bird Golf Course, and Scott Verplank, who is obviously considered one of the greatest players in forever in the history of Oklahoma. So I think it's a special class. I'm looking forward to being there that night to watch you be inducted. Can't wait to hear what you have to say. And um, just really thrilled for you. And I think it's well-deserved. So just again, before we finish here, I want to thank you for the impact you've had on my career because it's been very, very imp impactful. And thank you for all you did to promote the game of golf in Oklahoma. And most of all, just thanks for leaving this game that we all love so much. Thank you for leaving it better than you found it, Art. I, I mean that. Well, <clears throat> your book that you wrote is outstanding, and what a what a title! Uh, and yes, it, it is very gratifying in my uh, elder day, days. Even though I'm last eleven holes yesterday, I shot one under par. So I won't tell you about the first uh, part. Uh, I was three putting and not playing very well, but it, it turned around. So I was gr very grateful for that. Um, it, it, you know, I turned 82, so it's a whole lot easier to shoot my age now. <laughs> How first, many times you shot first it? Shot, I first shot my age when I was 64. I shot birdie the first six holes, and I thought, well, this is going to be a heck of a day. Never made another birdie. But as far as 70, so I shot 64 when I was 64. And then I, I missed, uh, uh, I didn't shoot 67, I didn't shoot 68. I don't know what happened those years. But uh, I did 64, 65, 66, and then um 69 70 what that wasn't it wasn't a problem back then <laughs> now it's a little harder to shoot 70 at 82 but 82 is very easy yeah just get on the right tees it's really easy isn't it oh uh, yeah well we still play the white we play you know 55 5600 whatever it happens to be when we played the Oklahoma Open there, you know, it was uh, Kickenberg was not a long golf course. It was tree line back then, but uh, a lot of those have died. But uh, anyway, they uh, uh, we didn't play it, but about uh, what was that, sixty two hundred yards or so, sixty three. All right, maximum. Yeah, somewhere in there. And now they're playing eight thousand yard golf courses, Mike. You and I couldn't. You know, I took up bowling now. Yeah, I don't want to play that length of golf course, but well, Art. Yeah. Thank you again for spending time with me today on the podcast. Um, very great for me to get to go down memory lane like this and just great for, I hope a lot of the listeners uh, will consider coming to the uh, award ceremony in November, especially the people that live in Oklahoma. I think it'd be a great evening. So again, thank you, Art. Hey, thank you for the invitation and thank you for the memories. Uh, it's always good to think back at what, what happened. You, you know, you're never, 
never satisfied. You always want to do more, and you look back and what could I have done, and what could I've been, and and then when you see what all you've done, you think, well, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> no, it was great. A Hall of Fame career in my books, for sure. Thank you very much, and God bless you, and good luck in the finals uh, uh, in May and uh, at the end of May. Where are they playing at this year? Playing at Greyhawk out in Scottsdale. Uh, out in Scottsdale. Okay, yeah. well, great. Great, well, you have a, a great tournament, great event. Motivate your kids. I know you will. Thank you so much, Art. You have a great week. We'll see you. All right. Bye-bye.